Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, the good and the bad of the Falcons' biggest loss, a changing of the guard in the NCAA, and looking a little deeper at the Hawks' record. It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Hitting Hard is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to all of your podcasts. Get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. And then give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. So the pro football focus, folks, put out an article of every team's biggest loss in free agency, okay? Now, for the Atlanta Falcons, they say that it's cornerback, and I can't believe I'm saying this, Isaiah Oliver. They're, they're right up. Quote, Oliver has been solid as a depth piece for, uh, or sorry, in the slot for Atlanta for the past two years in a limited capacity. And that's after beginning his career using a six foot, 210 pound frame to play on the outside. Oliver's 75.1 coverage grade when lined up in the slot over the past two years ranks in the top 30, albeit on a smaller sample. Atlanta has made a ton of defensive additions this offseason, most recently bringing in former first round pick uh, Mike Hughes, who also offers inside outside flexibility. Um, realistically, and Atlanta doesn't lose much this offseason, but Oliver provided some value as a defensive back. Now, I have to kind of laugh that, you know, uh, as as I used to joke on my radio show, 26, because uh, we didn't call him by his name because he played so bad. But look, here's the good and the bad of, of these kind of things, okay? So realistically, Oliver only started eight games over the past two seasons, right? He's been a decent piece for a defense that wasn't very good in the past and and things like that. But what does this say about overall that, you know, our success in drafting and things like that? You know, Isaiah Oliver played on for this past season. He played on a one-year, $1.25 million contract. So that was his second contract. So after his rookie deal was up, former second-round pick, his extension or his new contract for a second contract was one year, $1.25 million, and now he's gone. So the good is that, number one, you didn't lose a whole lot, right? You know, we may have upgraded, you know, in our slot corner position, and you still feel good about the defensive additions. So if the if the best player that the Falcons lost is Isaiah Oliver, we're doing pretty good, whether it's re-signing our current free agents or adding pieces to our defense or upgrading it, you know, our roster overall, if that's our biggest loss in the off season, then you should feel pretty good about where the Falcons are headed and things like that. The bad of it is, is that this is another one of those guys that you look at was a second round pick that never panned out. And he obviously didn't 
get any contract of merit in his second contract when, you know, that should be your big boom, right? I mean, that that second contract should be, okay, I've hit on my draft pick, right? And and he's balled out and he's way outplayed his rookie contract. Now we got to pay him all the money. So from that standpoint, you know, this is a, this is a, this is kind of where we're at with this roster, right? That this is why we have to dip into all of these free agents, one-year deals, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But this is why we continually have to, for the last couple few years, have to continue to turn over this roster. And again, you're going to lose guys and things like that. But when you draft a second-round player, okay, at a premium position, corner's definitely a premium position. It's not defensive line, offensive line, quarterback. But in that next tier, it's definitely a premier position. And when that guy doesn't work out, then it's like, okay, this is why our roster is sort of where it's at. So, again, I'm not mad about losing Isaiah Oliver. He's only started eight games the last two years. He, he by and large, has been a bust of a draft pick. Yeah, he did some nice things in the slot and things like that. Okay, if, if that's what our measuring stick is, then we didn't really lose a whole lot in free agency. So the Falcons have targeted, you know, look, th- certainly if we'd have lost Caleb McGarry or somebody like that, that that would have been a, a definite real loss to what our franchise is in the direction that our franchise is going. But when we look at and say that the worst player, or I should say the best player that we lost is Isaiah Oliver. Yeah. Okay. That's not saying a whole lot, but it also tells you about kind of where this roster is that we don't have enough of these guys that have been drafted that really are targeted for big second round contracts and things like that. And that's not necessarily a Terry Fontenot and an Arthur Smith deal because they've only had two drafts. And again, we'll see, you know, look, if Eva Katie's not a guy who takes a big step forward, you know, then we're going to have some concerns about, okay, is this another second round pick? You know, you look at the second round picks, the Isaiah Olivers, the Jalen Collins, and those kinds of guys that we had over the last several seasons under Thomas Dimitrov, Dan Quinn. You know, those guys didn't pan out at all. Those are supposed to be the real building blocks of your franchise. And that's kind of why we, you know, we've talked before about the 2017 draft class and all these different things about why you're at with your roster, right? You know, it wasn't like we lost Foyer Aluokan, you know, last year who led the NFL in tackles, right? Wasn't like we lost, you know, a, a guy off this year's squad that was a real impact player. But it does speak to the bigger picture of where we're at as a franchise. And look, I, I like certainly the, the Falcons additions and different things like that. But when you keep having to live in that world of I have to sign several free agents to plug in all of my holes and round out my roster because of past draft sins where you should be extending guys, giving guys their second contracts, that's not a place that you want to be in the NFL. What what do we always say? And I've said it a thousand times on this show that having lots of cap space is not a good thing. Oh, the Falcons had the second most cap space in the NFL. Yeah, that's not a good thing. That that's why that's why the two teams with the most cap space are the Bears and the Falcons. 
who had 10 wins combined between those two franchises. 10 wins. You know, this this is why we, we have this cap space, because we can't hit on guys like Isaiah Oliver in the second round to allow us to give that guy an extension, you know, like, like Lindstrom. You know, when, when you don't hit on some of these guys high up in the draft and, and second round picks are supposed to be starters for, look, how about Creed Humphrey, right? I mean, I, that's a name I always bring up. Creed Humphrey, not sexy, not not a, attractive, you know, just not a, not a you know, massive pick. And it's like, okay, he's a center out of Oklahoma. Well, Creed Humphrey was second team all pro this past year. He was the he was the highest graded rookie last year. He was maybe arguably the the top three or four best draft picks of last year. And this year he's second team All Pro, which is the same thing Chris Lindstrom was. That's how you have to draft. That's how we have to draft and develop our players. And that's why it's so important that some of these guys really transform the franchise over the next couple few years, especially starting next year. You know, Ebby Katie's got to take a big step forward. I've talked about Kyle Pitts on this show. I mean, if Kyle Pitts isn't at that elite level and, and 1,026 yards and three touchdowns is not elite level. If, if again, if it's not 13, 1,400 yards and a dozen touchdowns, then it's not elite level. And you have to scratch your head and say, okay, what's the direction? What are we drafting here? Where are we all at with all of this? So... There's good and there's bad in losing Isaiah Oliver, but I, I, you know, look, if that's our biggest free agent loss, then I think we're doing pretty good. All right, let's talk about our friends over at FanDuel. FanDuel is America's number one sports book. So listen, now we're down to the final four, right, in the NCAA tournament. And we're going to talk about that here in just a second because it's a crazy kind of final four. Well, new customers that sign up at FanDuel.com can claim their no-sweat first bet where you can get as much as $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, super easy to use. You can bet on everything from money lines to prop bets to the number of three-pointers that are drained or the national champion when all is said and done. Plus, FanDuel allows you to combine your bets for a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So head to FanDuel.com slash locked on today. FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. FanDuel.com slash locked on and claim your no sweat first bet where you can get as much as $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook betting partner of the NCAA. So... It definitely is a very strange Final Four, and, and it speaks a lot to the changing of the guard in college basketball, right? I mean, we have a Final Four that has Texas, UConn, San Diego State, and Florida Atlantic. Now, either San Diego State or Florida Atlantic is going to get to the national title game, okay? Okay. I think they're going to play UConn, but that's a separate discussion and things like that. And I believe Florida Atlantic is a program that has no players currently in the NBA and hasn't ever had a draft pick in the NBA. So, again, Cinderella story out of nowhere. But when you look at San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, even Texas 
And, you know, certainly the one blue blood in there is UConn. You know, you don't get this in college football, right? And, and you would think that with the NC, with the, with the uh, portal, with NIL money, and all of these things now at the disposal of college basketball, just like in, in college football, that you would get these real powerhouse programs that are at the top of the heap, right? I mean, even the number one overall seed in this year's NCAA tournament was Alabama, a non-traditional basketball program. So again, Alabama had a really good year, but if they're in the final four, they still wouldn't have been a traditional basketball power. And it's not that way in college football. Yeah, TCU is a, is a team that got into the national title game. But if you look at the last few years, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, like those are the programs that are at the top of the heap, right? And that's not to take anything away from TCU, but those are the programs that are at the top of the heap. You'd never see a Florida Atlantic in the final four of college football, right? They, they would certainly never get to that level. And, and as we expand the playoffs in college football, it's going to be fascinating to see where this thing kind of shakes out. Do we get a team that comes out of nowhere, Cinderella story, you know, and they rise up and they find themselves in a title game when you have multiple rounds of a, you know, college football tournament or whatever you want to call it, playoff, you know, when all is said and done. But it is very strange. Now, look, San Diego State has been a really good program over the last handful of years, right? I mean, when Steve Fisher was there, like they were really good teams out there. But do you look at them as kind of a, do you, do you think, did anybody have in their bracket San Diego State and, and Florida Atlantic? I don't think anybody had that. I can't, I, I can't even imagine that you had those two teams. And it does, it does speak to a little bit of where college basketball is at, that we don't have those great dominant teams. You know, I was looking at the 1991 um, finals of the final, the final four, right? It was UNLV versus Duke. So that's Larry Johnson and Stacey Augman and those guys against Hurley and Leitner and Grant Hill and all those guys. And then on the other side, you had Kansas versus North Carolina. And I believe that North Carolina team, even in 91, still had eight guys that went to the NBA. They have George Lynch and Chilcutt and Eric Montrose and all of those guys on their roster, right? I mean, that's not even Michael Jordan, all those guys, but they still had like eight guys that went to the NBA when all was said and done. And that's, you know, again, I understand it's it's 30 years ago, but still, when you look at this final four of these teams that are in there, it kind of does leave you scratching your head about where the state of college basketball is. And look, the TV ratings were off the chart for the first two rounds of the tournament, right? Because I do think things, I do think in college basketball world, it's way more open. And I'm certainly rooting for a Florida Atlantic. I was rooting for Butler, you know, to win the NCAA title. I'm rooting for Florida Atlantic all the way. I want to see one of these low tier kind of teams. And, and I say that in comparison to Carolina and Kansas and Duke and right, all of those teams. But it, it, it is amazing that, you know, Miami's not a traditional uh, basketball power. 
UConn is a traditional basketball power. That's the one program that's that's the true blue blood that's in there. Multiple NCAA champions. But even they were kind of, they were, a lot of teams, a lot of people, I should say, thought that they could be a Final Four team. But I still think it was kind of a little bit of a surprising run. And the fact that I think it's the first time since 06 that we don't have any number one seeds in the tournament, or sorry, in the uh, Final Four, it just kind of speaks to the parity of it. And I wonder if the same thing will translate over to college football, because I still think that it's going to be the Bamas and the Georgias and the Michigans and the Ohio States, and those are going to be the program powers, right? Again, I, I even in Oregon, if you if you count an Oregon or something like that, that's still been a football power over the last decade, right? I mean, they they have been in the national title hunt over the last decade. It's kind of like Gonzaga in in the world of college basketball. They're not just a uh, kind of what do I want to say a a second tier kind of program anymore in college basketball. They're one of the elite programs. It's 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 a it's it's not a program at the level of you know whatever North Carolina Duke or one of the Blue Bloods or things like that. But Gonzaga is a very very good program. Oregon's a very very good football program. Even TCU is a good football program. But maybe kind of they surprised everybody by getting to the national championship game. But it is it, it it does say a lot about where we are at in the sport of college football. Yes, people are watching. They they I think it was record numbers for the first two rounds of the of the NCAA tournament as far as viewership goes. And, and even though that there's True TV and CBS and all these kind of things, it doesn't matter. People found it and people were you know motivated to watch the first two rounds. And and I think that that speaks to the parity of what goes on in the world of college basketball. So it may be a changing of the guard. You know, Carolina was the number one team going into the basketball season, and they didn't even make the NCAA tournament. Now think about that. Think about Carolina. Could you imagine Carolina being preseason number one and not making the NCAA tournament? Like that's something from the 1970s, right? Because when you only had 32 teams in the tournament, yeah, you could have, you know, in what, 74, when it was Maryland versus NC State, and they were number one versus number three in the country, and it was a one-bid league at that point. Yeah, then, then you know, when it's, when it's a one-bid league in the ACC at that point, and Maryland loses in maybe the greatest college basketball game in ACC history, they lose, and they're out of the tournament, and, you know, they were a Final Four team, I think, the year before, with John Lucas and Tom McMillan and all those guys. So Len Elmore is another one. But again, it, it's a real changing of the guard in the NCAA. And I, I love it. And I'm rooting for Florida Atlantic big time to try to win this thing. All right, let's talk about our friends over at Built Bar. Listen, speaking of March Madness, Built Bar has got your March Madness bracket. Go to BuiltMarchMadness.com and vote for your favorite bar or puff, BuiltMarchMadness.com. And when you go over there and vote for your favorite bar or puff, you are registered to be in a deal where 50 luck, lucky locked-on listeners are going to get a free box of Built Bars. So you could potentially be one of 50 winners for a free box of Built Bars. And there's going to be one winner that is a... Uh, a winner of a 12-month subscription 
to have Built Bars delivered monthly straight to your door. So vote for your favorite bar or puff. You know, take all of the different flavors that you've got to, out there and go to BuiltMarchMadness.com and register to win either a free box of Built Bars or a 12-month subscription where you get Built Bars delivered right to your home. So looking at the at the Hawks record here as we're down to the last few games, we talked about this last week that um, they had the second toughest uh, schedule remaining with nine games to go and different things like that. I thought it was interesting just to look at what the Hawks have done going against teams above 500 in the East and the West versus teams that are below 500. Okay. Now, in the Eastern Conference, the Hawks are 8 and 14 against the teams that are above 500. That's the Boston's, Milwaukee, you know, Brooklyn, Philly, Miami, right? Like, like the really good teams in the East. And, and the East is loaded this year. I mean, I, I will not be surprised if the NBA champion comes out of the East. You look at Philly, Boston, Milwaukee. I mean, that those are those are top caliber teams. And I, I still think Milwaukee is the best team in the NBA. And I still think they have the best player in the NBA. But the Hawks were 8-14 and 14 against the top teams in the Eastern Conference. Now, look. That's not great, obviously, okay, but considering where the Hawks are, I'm not really super surprised. But what did surprise me a little bit is the fact that the Hawks are actually 7-7 seven and seven against the top teams in the Western Conference. So teams that are above 500, all right, the Hawks are actually 7-7. Seven and seven. So that's the Utahs and the Denvers and – Memphis and all that. And obviously the Hawks lost yesterday to Memphis and and they finished 0-2 against Memphis, right? So 7-7, seven and seven, it tells you that the Hawks, again, went healthy and together and all this. Because again, the first time the Hawks played Memphis, they had four of their starters out, right? Trey was out, Capella was out, Hunter was out, and I think there were, I think it was Collins or somebody else. But they had like four of their starters that were out. So you kind of throw those kinds of games away when when you've got four starters that are out. That's one of those games that you just kind of toss in the trash and say, okay, we're not going to beat a really good team. The problem that, that I have, though, is the Hawks against teams that are below 500, okay? So that's Charlotte, you know, in the Eastern Conference, the Charlottes, the Detroits, the, you know, even the Bulls. Toronto, Indiana, who they beat the other night. They're only 15 and nine against those teams. And that's where you have to clean up. And what's really disturbing is that the Hawks against the below 500 teams in the Western Conference, San Antonio, uh, Houston, Oklahoma City, right? The dregs of the universe of both conferences. They're only, they're seven and eight against those teams. They were only 22 and 17 against teams below the 500 mark. So 500 or below, because the only team that's 500 is New Orleans, 500 or below, they're only 22 and 17. And it tells you that the Hawks, you know, and they're 15 and 21 against teams above 500 in the East and the West. So the Hawks definitely 
play down to their competition. The fact that they're only 22 and 17 against the Charlottes and the Detroits and the Orlandos and the Rockets and the Spurs and Oklahoma City and those Gavon teams that are out there kind of tells you about why this Hawks season hasn't been better. That they haven't, you know, I can live with even 15 and 21 against the really top teams in the East and the West. But when you're only five games above 500 against the dregs of the universe, and, and that's even kind of skewed because if you take away Detroit, the Hawks are the Hawks are 18 and 17 against everybody else that's below 500 because the Hawks were 4-0 against the Pistons this year. So you take away the Pistons, the Hawks are 18 and 17 against everybody who is below the 500 mark. The Hawks really did not take advantage of the bad teams in the NBA. 22 and 17 against the dregs of the universe. And, and that is really why when we talk about the idea of where the Hawks are at in all of this, that they didn't take advantage of their schedule. We've talked about this all year long. They didn't take advantage of their schedule. They didn't take advantage of the bad teams. You know, again, they were 4-0 against Detroit, but they were 1-3 against the Charlotte Hornets. That's not good enough. And when you play bad teams in the NBA, especially the Western Conference teams, and I understand going out to the West Coast isn't very easy, but still, when you're when you're in San Antonio and Houston, you got to find ways to win those games. And the fact that they're only 7 and 8 versus the below 500 Western Conference teams kind of makes you scratch your head that okay, we haven't taken advantage of the schedule at any point this season. And that, to me, has been the big takeaway from this team. They have definitely played, at times, down to their competition's level. Now, whether that's injuries, you know, we've talked about last week on the show, the back-to-backs, right? The Hawks are 2-9 and nine in back-to-back games, okay? That puts them down with Dallas, but it also puts them down with, you know, the Houstons and the Charlottes and the dregs of the universe. So besides being awful in back-to-back games, and by the way, I think the Hawks are eight and three in the first game of a back-to-back. So eight and three in the first game of a back-to-back, but two and nine in that second game. You know, when you don't take advantage of the schedule in the NBA, and and you know, we talk specifically about that end of the calendar year in 2022 when they had that. 19 game stretch against a lot of teams like that were coming West Coast to East Coast, right? Where they were at home playing the Lakers and Clippers or whatever. And then they also didn't take advantage of the Charlottes and Orlando's and different things like that. And that 19 game stretch was seven and 12 when it was all said and done. Whereas, okay, I looked at that and said, yeah, 13 and six should be what this team has. And that's why this team has not gotten over the hump and they can't find themselves a game or two more than 500 or a game above or a game below, right? The NBA record 26 times and all that kind of stuff. But when you're only 22 and 17 against everybody who is below 500, that speaks a lot to why the Hawks have not taken advantage or not been able to be better, especially seven and eight 
against the West Western Conference teams that are below 500. It's been frustrating. It's been maddening. And hopefully there's going to be some kind of real change that's coming for this franchise. Because as is, again, the new coach is, it's all exciting and different things like that. But the results have certainly not been there. All right, well, thank you so much for making Hit and Hard with John Chuck for your first listen. Make sure you make Locked on Sports today your second listen. Biggest stories of the day, instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day available. Odyssey, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcast from. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can get the latest episodes of Hit and Hard as soon as they are available. And then give me a follow on my personal Twitter page, at JMCH316. Back with you tomorrow. This has been Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked on Sports Atlanta. 